It is good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one underneath the chair in front of you. We refer to those as our pew Bibles. And um, as you're finding the passage, please just know, if you do not have a Bible, please take that Bible as a gift from us to you. Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to pick up in verse 20. We, on Resurrection Sunday, last Sunday, were able to look at the first 19 verses. And we were introduced to a better hope that Christ provides as our great high priest. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And now follow along as I begin reading in verse 20. And it was not without an oath, him becoming this high priest. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to begin this morning by reading a little portion by Sinclair Ferguson that I think will be a helpful way for us to enter in to this passage in Hebrews this morning. He says this, To understand Hebrews, and thus to understand how the Bible as a whole works, we need to understand this riddle. So I hope you've got your thinking caps on this morning. The invisible is more substantial than the visible. The future comes before the past. The new is more fundamental than the old. What what does all of this mean? Simply put, it means that the story of the Lord Jesus, his person and work, is not a divine afterthought, a heavenly plan B, hurriedly scrambled together when plan A went horribly wrong in Eden. No, the coming of Christ was the plan before the fall, 
everything that precedes it chronologically actually follows it logically. So the reason for all of the talk that we, we did last week in verses 1 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 7, all the talk about Christ's relationship to Melchizedek is to help us understand the eternal priesthood of Christ and just how important it is. So important that without his high priesthood, we would not actually have a way unto salvation. God's wrath has never changed towards sin. And there is only one hope for sinners like us. We need our sins atoned for. We need one who will intercede for us on our behalf as our representative. We need a king of righteousness. We need a king of peace. We need someone without beginning or end. Someone who has an indestructible life and will never die nor need to be replaced. We need someone greater than Abraham and greater than Levi, someone after the order of Melchizedek, the one who actually blessed Abraham, the patriarch. And in God's great plan of redemption, Christ, the faithful high priest, offered himself as the final perfect sacrifice of atonement for sin. And because he lives, he continues to intercede for his own. Now, in our passage, Psalm 110 is quoted again. It's quoted again, and it provides another aspect to the development of the superiority of Jesus' priesthood versus the Levitical priesthood. So in contrast to that of the Levitical succession, Jesus was established by God with an oath. So I want us to just spend a little bit of time thinking about the importance of this oath. This isn't the first time we heard that God has made an oath. He made an oath, we read in chapter 6, when he promised to Abraham all that, would, that he would accomplish through Abraham and his lineage. So there was a promise and an oath, and that was crucially important and As we look at the the priesthood of Christ, we see that this oath was given to his priesthood as well. And we don't want to just gloss over that. That actually is hugely important in understanding the permanence of this priesthood. And that matters greatly when we stand before God wanting to make sure that we're actually secure in our standing before him. Not just for a day or a year or even a a lifespan, but for all eternity. And so in, in order to understand the permanence of this priesthood, this oath is essential in laying that that bedrock, that foundation of our firm standing before God because of who Christ is, who has interceded for us and continues to do so. So it's significant that the promise made to Abraham, that declaration was that same oath given to the priest out of the order or after the order of Melchizedek, both confirmed by God with an oath. And I just want you to think for a moment, under these two heads, all the gracious promises and prophecies which precede the coming of Christ are gathered together 
And with the coming of Christ, both promise and priesthood find their fulfillment. Now, why is the oath important? Not all of God's ordinances are intended to continue on in perpetuity or endlessly. This is true in the case of the Old Covenant ceremonial law. It is true with the Levitical priesthood, so closely associated with it. There was a reason why an oath was not made by God according to these things to continue on forever. Because they were but shadows, foreshadowing what was to come. The substance which is Christ our eternal high priest. So Christ's priesthood is different. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And Lord willing, as we look into chapters 8 and 9, we'll have much time to unpack the new covenant and and really dive into this better covenant But for for now, just kind of put a placeholder. But for him to be a guarantor of a better covenant means that Jesus himself is the security that there will be no annulment or change to this new and better covenant. That is good news for sinners who were once far off from God and have now been reconciled through the work of Christ to know that this will not change. That is really good news. That is why in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, it is described as the eternal covenant. This was God's plan even before the fall. This was not plan B. If you've ever thought that the way in which the storyline of the Bible, of re, a plan of redemption unfolds, seems to be like God is, is kind of having to change his mind and, and work around our mistakes please know that that is not the case. Our sovereign, wise, and holy God had this plan from eternity past, the plan that one day he would send his son on mission to redeem a people for himself by the shedding of his blood. I want us to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at verse 25. All that has been said from verses 1 through 24 leads up to verse 25, and we read this. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This one verse has so much packed into it. Another way to say this verse, therefore, consequently, therefore, because Jesus always lives, always lives to make intercession for his people, he is able to save them forever, to the uttermost, completely, to the full extent, always. This means, please listen and follow along, this means that our future salvation is actually hangs on Christ's intercession for us. Now, for some of you, that may be kind of, those, those might be new categories. And I want to spend some time really looking at this. We should not talk about our salvation in some kind of static or frozen term. 
What I mean by that is a lot of us fall prey to this kind of talking about our salvation. Years and years ago, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died a death that we deserve to die on the cross. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. All glory to God. We have a Savior who has saved us. All of that is true, wonderful. We rejoice in it. But I just want us to understand that it does not end there. We sometimes forget, had we not just come off of Easter, the resurrection, and been reminded that our Lord lives right now today, and that actually is bringing more hope because he's a living hope. If we don't understand that he didn't just, he wasn't just raised from the dead just to be fixed up in heaven and no longer engaged with the people in whom he has saved. There is activity by our great high priest even right now. And that actually matters greatly to our future salvation. So we, we need to look at this. I hope we can understand it by, by the help of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, primarily the Apostle Paul, inspired by God's Spirit, speaks of salvation in three tenses, past, present, and future. So I want to just spend a few moments looking at each of those tenses with Scripture. So many of us are familiar with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Please hear it as I read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is past. Praise God, we have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. He has done this created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So initially, at the point of regeneration, our sins are forgiven entirely, completely. We have been delivered from sin's penalty. Through faith, we are justified and Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. You have been saved past tense. There is a present tense to our salvation. Here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Salvation is a past event with ongoing present working of God in our lives. Another way to say this is our sanctification a process whereby we are being delivered from sin's power. Present tense. And then there's also future tense. A few verses I want us, want us to hear. Romans 13, verse 11. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So not yet in its fullness, or Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by the blood, past tense, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
And so when we think about the future tense, ultimately in heaven, we will be delivered from sin's presence, which is our glorification. This is future. So sin's penalty in the past, we've been delivered from. We are being delivered from sin's power over us in the present, and we will be delivered from sin's presence in the future. Past, present, future. That's really important when thinking about Christ's activity now. The intercession of the Son matters profoundly now and tomorrow and the next day. As long as we have breath in our lungs here on earth and are God's chosen people. And so as a faithful high priest, his responsibility, according to our passage this morning, is to intercede for his own. And according to verse 25, that's not it. That's not all. What it also means and what it also says is that we, our responsibility, is to draw near to God through him. And so I want you to hear this morning, our salvation is not static or frozen in the sense of Christ's work for his own. What I also want you to hear this morning is our salvation is not static when it comes to our own life and walk with the Lord. Some would say, I made this act of decision that happened in the past and then no longer feel like it's relevant how I respond to God today. And I want you to know that that is not a biblical description or definition of true biblical faith. We are called to draw near to God through him. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. This verb, draw near to God, the verb used here is a tense that indicates present, continuous action. It's not just something that happened in the past. It is present, continuous action. Not a single action or word that was spoken or decision that was made many, many years ago that you have staked your claim upon that, okay, this happened when I was younger. I have security now that I have been saved by grace. And yet your life now shows no sign of God being Lord and King over your life. That, that does not translate into a biblical description of true saving faith. What this is not saying is that God is able to save those forever who once drew near to him, but who go on drawing near to him. And so if we do not go on drawing near to God, we should have no confidence for thinking that we are being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus' continued intercession as our eternal high priest is needed, I want you to hear this morning that our drawing near to God is also needed. But what I want us to see very clearly is that his intercession is actually what enables us to draw near to God. Please do not miss this. His daily, moment-by-moment intercession as our high priest is what fuels our ability to actually draw near to God through him. Before we really take a deep dive into that, 
I, I, I've been thinking about how this has been received. Okay, we have a great high priest who's interceding for us so that we now have access to the Father. We must not think that we have Jesus, the eternal Son of God, attempting somehow to persuade a hostile Father to regard us with favor. I don't want you to think that that is actually what's being conveyed here as our great need for a great high priest. The Father and the Son are always in perfect harmony. There is oneness and purpose between the Father and the Son. This was the testimony of the Lord Jesus throughout his public ministry. For example, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, the Son does likewise. It is God who in Christ reconciles the world to himself. Another familiar passage, Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so please don't hear that there is this angry God, hostile towards us, and only because Christ is there for us, then we can even have a relationship with one who may or may not love us. Oh, out of his great love, he sent his son to rescue his own, whom he loves. This is the love that should overwhelm us. God the Father sends his only begotten son to die in order to save us, secure the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, hope and glory with him forever and ever. Amen. John Piper once summarized all of this so well, much better than I could say it. All this is the love of God rescuing us from the wrath of God in such a way that the justice of God is vindicated and the glory of God is exalted. All of this is all wrapped up in the grand plan of redemption. How could a holy and right God make a way for rebels and sinners like us? Make a way for us to actually be reconciled and in fellowship and communion with one another. Adopted as sons and daughters when we are children of wrath. Only through the blood of Christ. And now we have this glorious Christ as the one who intercedes for us. And so Christ's intercession is what enables us to keep drawing near to God. We actually learn so much about our great high priest by, by thinking about and looking at the symbols found in the Levitical priesthood. So for example, the garments which Aaron as the high priest wore, actually help us understand the intercessory function of Christ now in heaven. So if you think about the attire of Aaron, the, great high, or the high priest in his garments, in the shoulder pieces of the ephod, there were two onyx stones, each set on the shoulders with the names of the sons of Israel engraven upon them. These stones were designated as stones of remembrance. 
because their names were before the Lord on the shoulders of Aaron. And attached to these two pieces was a a breastplate. The two pieces of the ephod, there was this breastplate in which, again, there were 12 precious stones, all engraved with the names of the 12 sons of Israel, so that Aaron not only bore the names on his shoulders, carrying the weight of the people, but he bore their names on his breastplate, representing close to his heart, carrying and and bringing them into the presence of God, into the sanctuary. So the people, please hear this, were carried by name into God's presence, being supported in their weakness on the strong shoulders of the high priest and bound closely to his heart. What a picture that paints of our great high priest, the good shepherd who knows his own sheep by name. This is the one who intercedes for us by name in the heavenly sanctuary, supporting us by his victorious strength and always having our names upon his heart. Please remember, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is mercy and grace to be received by those who are his, whose names are written upon his heart in all of our times of need and struggle. There's a few other ways in which I want us to see from the New Testament Christ's intercession. We get a glimpse in his high priestly prayer in John 17. If you have not read the, the upper room discourse in a while, go and read and just meditate upon what you find in John 17. We get a glimpse of how Christ, our high priest, engages in his sacred work of interceding for us to the Father. Just a few verses. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you realize that that is all of us who have faith in Christ? He has been, he prayed for us in John 17 and continues to pray for us. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Also, I want us to remember a famous passage in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, where our Lord, Jesus Christ, speaking to Peter, says this, Simon... Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith 
may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Christ was praying for Peter, knowing that three times he would forsake him. Praying for him that he would not be sifted like wheat from Satan, that he would not lose his faith. He was interceding for his own even then. Think about that in relation to our great high priest who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated does not mean that he is inactive. Seated means that he has overcome and defeated and conquered. And he is active, interceding for each of us right now to the Father. Think about this last week as as Brandon was praying for us, praising God that he has held us fast. That is not because of your own strength. Christ has been interceding for his own throughout the last week. So whatever you have gone through, reflect upon one who is holding you fast, who is lifting you up, who is holding you by his own strength. Those names, think about the garment. That that is such a beautiful symbol of what Christ is doing for his own as he brings us into the presence of God Most High. When the author of this letter tells us that drawing near to God is what qualifies us for the eternal saving work of our high priest, he doesn't mean to say that our high priest leaves us alone in our own bent and sinful nature to draw near to God on our own. Rather, our high priest intercedes for us and asks the Father to do just what Hebrews chapter 13 says he will do. This is a benediction at the end of Hebrews, but listen to it. It it connects to what we're hearing today. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is God equipping us with everything good that we may do his will. What is his will? According to 1 Thessalonians, we are told that his will is our sanctification. Very clearly, we are to be conformed into the image of his Son, And I want to connect these dots with you. If you're struggling to understand what it means to draw near to God, you realize that you are in desperate need of God in every moment of your life for every situation that you encounter. He is your source of hope, of life, empowerment by the Spirit to walk in a manner that would be pleasing to Him. You do not do this in your own strength. We need Him every single hour. That is what it means to depend or press in on God, holding him as he holds us. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through his Son, to whom be glory forever and ever. Another angle to get at this, John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress 
If you're excited about Pilgrim's Progress, we're looking forward to looking at that further as this year continues. The Pilgrim's Progress tells how Christian was taken into the interpreter's house and how the interpreter showed him many wonderful things and instructive things. In one place, he took him into a room where there was a fire burning. As Christian is looking at this fire, on the front side, he sees that there is one who is pouring water on the fire. And yet, the fire is not being quenched. The interpreter wants him to understand what this means and asks, do you, do you get what's going on here? Do you know what this means? When Christian did not know, the interpreter took him behind the fire and showed him that there was one behind the fire actually pouring oil, which is flammable, pouring oil on the fire. So while on the front side, there's water being poured on the fire, but it's not going out, the reason why is because there's someone on the back side who is pouring oil on the fire, keeping that fire burning, keeping it alive. Then the interpreter told him that this was a picture of Jesus's, Jesus Christ's intercession. That fire was the fire of grace in the believer's heart. He that poured water was the enemy of, the soul, of souls, the devil. But he that poured on the oil standing behind the fire was the Lord Jesus Christ, who by continual intercession and the supply of the Holy Spirit, secretly and unseen by man, kept alive his own work in the believer's heart and did, and did not allow Satan to get a victory over him. That, that story in Pilgrim's Progress really helps you even understand what, what Christ was, was doing when he said he was praying for Peter, that, that Satan wouldn't sift him like wheat. He was pouring that fuel on the fire that he had started, keeping it burning in the believer's heart. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you have been saved by his death and you are being saved by his living and interceding now and you will be saved. I think Philippians 1.6 really helps us here. This is the confidence of Paul in saying this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. He who began is faithful to bring it to completion. This means our salvation is as secure as as Christ's priesthood is indestructible. This is why we need a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, as we see in our passage. Christ, by the power of an indestructible life, secures his indestructible priesthood for us. So think about this for a moment. We are saved eternally by the prayers of our Savior, by his advocacy. Jesus Christ right now is interceding for you. 
He prays for you, and his prayers are answered by the Father because he prays perfectly for you. Another thing that we can learn by looking at the Levitical priesthood is that they would bless the people of God. They would give benedictions. Earlier in chapter 7, I want you to remember how the greater Melchizedek blessed the lesser Abraham. And in doing so, he prefigured the blessing with which, or which was to flow from, from him who is our Melchizedek to all through faith are the children of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Please know that if you have faith in Christ, the promise that was made finds its fulfillment in Christ. And so just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, well before the law and circumcision, all of that, this was before. By faith, he trusted in the one who would, who would bring the deliverer, the promised Messiah. All of us who have believed upon that Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, are children of Abraham. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity, your bloodline. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. So, us being the children offspring of Abraham by faith, this all starts to make sense. If the greater bless the lesser, Melchizedek pointed to Christ who is the greater, we are the offspring of Abraham, he is the one who blesses us. His benediction is beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, him blessing his own people. And by looking at the function of the high priest of the Levitical priesthood, we actually get a a, a better understanding of of this great benediction or blessing that our great high priest gives us. And so, in closing, I want to take us here just for a moment because it's so helpful. We read in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, Then Aaron came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering, And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And we're told in Numbers chapter 6, this is Aaron's blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. In the new covenant, the better covenant, our great high priest's blessing, benediction, is made effective through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the saving work of Christ to our hearts and lives. Philip Hughes, in his wonderful commentary on Hebrews, says this. It's so helpful. The sending of the Holy Spirit is a comprehensive blessing for which we are indebted to the intercession of Christ. And the Holy Spirit, who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, helps our weaknesses. For when we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words, 
and he does so in harmony with the will of God. The intercession of the Holy Spirit in the temple of our bodies is united with the intercession of the Son in the sanctuary of heaven and brings the joy of heaven into the believer's heart. That is the fulfillment or the pointing towards of that blessing and benediction that we heard in Numbers chapter 6, finding its fulfillment in the new covenant and what Christ has accomplished and now offers as a blessing to his people. Hear it one more time. The intercession of the Holy Spirit in the temple of our bodies, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is united with the intercession of the Son in the sanctuary of heaven and brings the joy of heaven into the believer's heart. Let us pray. Father, help us this day to understand that the invisible is more substantial than the visible. That Christ, our great high priest, in his priestly work, is pouring oil on the fire of our soul by his continual intercession and supply of the Holy Spirit. He, praise be to God, keeps alive his own work on our hearts, in our hearts, and does not allow Satan to get the victory over us. Father, what glorious news this is to a people who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. What a great high priest. Father, we echo Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who has or who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We thank you for the priestly intercession of the Son. Father, I pray that that would, that would overwhelm us this morning, that our hearts and minds would be so uh, illuminated by the Spirit to these glorious truths that we are not left alone, that the past, present, and future is secure by our great high priest. And for those who are looking on the outside in, may this be the day of salvation. May Christ be seen by them through the work of the Spirit as the only one who can save their souls and provide all that they need both now and for eternity. May you receive all the glory and honor due this morning. In Christ's name, amen.